Hi, welcome to Grace Intersect. The goal of this podcast is to help us have an increasingly clear understanding of grace. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer. Thanks for joining us today. Think of your most excruciating physical experience. Does something immediately jump out because of how intense it was? A couple come to mind for me. Here's one. When I was about 16 or 17, it might have been around the Thanksgiving time of 1965, six of us took three canoes down the Kalamazoo River to Lake Michigan. We had arranged to return a short distance upstream to meet our ride back to our cabin. It was great fun until we discovered our ride wasn't where we expected. Thinking we miscommunicated, we paddled upstream to another landing area, and then to another. Of course, cell phones were not in existence yet. My memory isn't good about much after that. It seems we ended up paddling upstream for several miles, perhaps six or eight. It was quite dark by the time we somehow connected with our ride. This was an ordeal that required mental resolve over physical resistance. Exhaustion, excruciating pain is a clear memory. Going to bed that night was a welcome relief, but the next morning, it was a reminder of what we had been through. Lying on the top bunk, waiting to go to the bathroom, well, it was pretty much impossible. None of my painful muscles wanted to, or maybe couldn't, move. Legs, arms, hands, neck, nothing but sheer agony. Opening my eyes was the only movement without screaming pain. I'm not sure how long it took before being able to move off that bunk. I do remember the pain lasted for days. These are things we wonder if we would do again if we knew the outcome. Did the fun outweigh the pain? What about your most excruciating time mentally? What experience drained your brain of the ability to clearly sort out the issue or issues? What was so complex and confusing that you felt helpless to make cogent choices to process through the issue? What mindset blocked your ability to understand how to proceed? What was it like to be paralyzed in knowing how to think? Perhaps our most intense experiences involve our emotions. We can be so overwhelmed with love and joy that we don't even know how to absorb it. We bask in a sea of delight, incapable of fully comprehending what we feel, but lost in its wonder and goodness. Or, we can be emotionally torn to shreds by the pain of our heart when someone hurts someone we love, or perhaps even ourselves, or when we experience a shocking, unexpected loss of someone of great importance to us, or when we are destructively discarded, rebuffed, and rejected by one we don't ever want to live without, or being on the receiving end of a terminal prognosis. Thinking through some of this can be kind of unsettling. Does it help to share those harrowing experiences with others? Sometimes. But how well do we deeply understand what we each go through? We each have our very separate and personal journeys. Our struggles, pain, horror, grief, depression is personal. Some are a result of our poor decisions. Others come because someone else has victimized us through their poor decisions. Much of what we have experienced is a result of circumstances beyond the decisions of either ourselves or others. One thing we can be certain of is that we all will have negative, even severely negative experiences. This is inescapable. And in the end, we all die, which some may consider the most extreme negative experience to have, while others may flippantly act as if it's no big deal. 
In any case, our personal experiences are distinctly unique to us. In this modern age, much of the superficial pain and struggles of life seem to be mitigated with a pill or device. Wouldn't it be nice to someday have just to take one pill or apply just one device to cause all of our negative experiences to disappear? Can't there be a one-off cure-all? But what about the inside, the deepest core of us where our being is most intensely personal? Where we search for significance and meaning to our existence? How do we deal with the negative experiences there, especially when there is no one else who can duplicate the personal me, or you? Oh, there are generalizations that can be made about us and our journeys and how to address them, some of which can be helpful. Beyond that, there may be specific ways of treating the traumatic negatives in our lives that may also be helpful. But how well do they treat the deepest personal level of our being satisfactorily? How do you be strong in the face of unbearable adversity? How do you summon the mindset, the energy, to make the best decisions when faced with the overbearing pressure of powerful negative experiences now or in the past? All the while just trying to keep up with the ups and downs of normal daily living. You may have heard the phrase, don't sweat the small stuff, and it's all small stuff. Maybe you've been told to just get over it, or buck up, or deal with it. Well, that doesn't really personalize it for you, does it? It doesn't really give you something that addresses the core of your being. Some of this kind of advice seems to encourage the philosophy of fake it till you make it. How satisfying is that? In matters of the heart, does faking it ever really make it? And is what is small to one person small to everyone else? Have you noticed how easy it is to be judgmental of others? Have you noticed most of our judgment is related to behavior? Even when we are concerned about someone else's attitude or circumstances, somehow behavior often seems to be the overriding focus. So, how do we deal with what's really important? How much of our personal being, our personalities, environments, relationships, and so on, are impacted by the anguish of negative experiences? What determines how we respond? Why do some people experience very similar traumas and respond so differently? Sometimes we see others going through something very difficult and notice how strong they appear to be, mentally and or emotionally, how they can hold it together by functioning more normally than we think we would or most others would. A certain admiration can come from that. Sometimes we see others falling apart when faced with life's severe challenges. That can feel pretty helpless on our part. How do we help them? What can we do or say that would make it better for them? Realizing our limitations may lead us to wish that they would just be able to figure it out because they are making life hard for others. That can be especially true when the negative fallout is hitting hard the people we love. In many ways, our life interactions are a complicated mess. We get along with some people, but not so well with others, and don't always know why. Was it something I said? What did I ever do to deserve that? In actuality, we have very little understanding of what another has experienced that makes it difficult to relate to them. We may not even know why we respond to others the way we do. Have you ever surprised yourself by your own triggered reaction to a person or situation and almost immediately, perhaps in regret, wonder, where did that come from? If you are human, you probably have. Do you cut yourself some slack when that happens? Have you found yourself repeating a negative attitude such as jealousy or a bad temper and desperately wanting not to have it? 
Why can't you just get past it? How about undesirable behaviors such as painful teasing or needless overspending? What is there about you that keeps those bad behaviors happening? Good counseling and or medications may be helpful in providing pathways to improving some attitudes and behaviors. We may even understand ourselves somewhat better in the process. It can make a life-changing difference and help us handle life better. But is it a cure-all? Can we counsel ourselves into complete wellness and overcoming all the curses of our past, into understanding all there is to know about who we have been and who we are now? Here is a legitimate question we can ask each other. Who are you and why are you the way you are? The answers will be incomplete at best, and if they lead to someone else's condemning judgment, destructive at worst. A baby born into a vacuum of any kind of a relationship won't survive. From day one, survival is dependent upon some form of human relationship. In every case, the supervising human will be imperfect in relating to that baby. The baby, no matter how cute, will have its own unique personality, unlike anyone else. No baby manual is capable of being comprehensive enough to cover the infinite aspects of this relationship. If you have been a caregiver to an infant, you know what I'm talking about. Of course, as additional imperfect people come into contact and relationship with this child as it grows, everyone connected will experience some of each other's messes of life. Somewhere along the line, negative circumstances will be encountered. The negative aspects of others' attitudes and behaviors, the growing child's own personal negative characteristics, all impact and create an imperfect life. So, if a person isn't perfect, if they struggle with various aspects of life, who are we going to blame for how a person turns out? Beyond the blame, what can be done to make life better for them, and us in the process? Walking in the shoes of another person is not always, if ever, possible. We really have no clue what each of us has experienced except in somewhat general terms. So where does that leave us? Needing help? Duh. Yes, of course. What kind of help? From where? Or whom? The help we offer can't be us arrogantly expressing our self-righteous judgment towards someone else, can it? Well, actually, that does seem to happen quite often, perhaps most often. Don't we often disdainfully look at another with whom we have an issue? It really is easy to compare our life experience with another person's life experience and find them inadequate or seriously deficient in certain areas. Sometimes, it's just too easy to have easy answers for the problems of other people, especially those we disagree with. You know, those who think they are right when we know they are wrong, or those we think are getting what they deserve. In reality, I wonder if much of the frustration we feel from the difficulties others experience, I wonder if that doesn't come from our personal sense of inadequacy in providing substantive and sustained real help. We don't suffer what they are suffering in the way they are suffering and, while what they are suffering is extremely hard, we've gone through our own hard times and have come out of it. They should too. The sooner, the better. So, if self-righteous judgment from us isn't the answer to truly helping others who are struggling, what can we do? There are some easy answers that are hard to implement. To begin with, what would happen if we stopped comparing their situation to ours or that of others? What a huge help it would be if we could see our fellow humans as creations of a loving God and as someone he loves. 
It helps us to see their struggles as a result of the bigger picture of human frailty and brokenness. It helps us to see ourselves in relation to them the same way we are now seeing them. It is easy to say, just love them, but hard to know how to put that into practice. Is just being there for them enough? Sometimes it is, but not always. Is always being available sufficient? Sometimes, but other times it might lead to dependency. When is tough love appropriate? What kind of boundaries are necessary to preserve your well-being and or that of your family or other friends? A prolific writer of the first century sacred texts named Paul suggested that loving others, struggling or not, includes patience and kindness, not arrogance, irritability, or resentfulness. He said love is unselfish and truthful. In fact, he says love never fails. Wow. That's some kind of perfect love. That can be guilt-inducing. We'll come back to that shortly. Sometimes being loving and understanding is really, really hard, and responding in wisdom may even be harder. This one thing is certain, we will not do it all perfectly well. In this petri dish of life, the mixing of our bacterias is messy. What can exist in our interactions and relationships with each other is knowing we want the best for each other even when we aren't sure what that is. In our care for fellow struggling humans, if they can see our heart of love, if they can know we don't want them to go through such pain, if they can trust us, perhaps our inevitable inadequacies won't make things worse. To help them know they are valued by us, even if imperfectly, may help them with a personal sense of worth. Going beyond all of our imperfect interaction with those who are struggling, going way beyond it, is the assurance of a perfect love, of God. Circling back to what Paul wrote about love, what is interesting is that he used love as a noun, not a verb. This means that the love he is referring to is a source, in this case, a divine entity, God. God is love. He is patient, kind, unselfish, truthful. He never fails. In the deepest inner places of our heart, spirit, and soul, we can experience the presence of God through His grace. Our imperfection disqualifies us from relationship with a perfect God. His perfection, graciously gifted to us, qualifies us for an eternal love relationship with Him. Beyond all the junk of this life, and looking around this planet, some of it is indescribably junky, there is reasonable hope that love will ultimately prevail because God is love. This present life is not all there is to living. In the bigger picture, we know that there is a birth, a life, and a death. In the biggest picture, we know there is an opportunity to experience eternal joyful living with our loving God and each other. When we choose to invite God into our life processes, through His gift of grace, our emotional struggles, no matter how severe, our physical pain, no matter how intense, our mental confusions, no matter how debilitating, nothing can diminish us or separate us from God, from His love. God has made an arrangement to rescue us from the painful and deadly strife of life. Our new life in God, our realization of and participation in a love relationship with Him, means we can rest in a future that is ultimately secure and eternal. Fellow human strugglers may be inspired by who God is in you and how you are growing and being like Him. 
They may see your faith as one of God's redeemed children who rests in His secure love. They may find reason for hope in their own difficult circumstances because of your love relationship with God. Bringing the love of God through you to them is the most you can do for them. Thank you for listening today. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer, and this is the Grace Intersect Podcast. As we process grace together, please know that your thoughts and or questions are always welcome. Comments may be made at the graceintersect.com website or by emailing comments at graceintersect.com. Have a great day.